Hey there everyone welcome aboard to the One Touch Talks this is your host Mayuresh Matkar and today we will be covering all the four Champions League games which took place this week we will be taking a look at what happened in Manchester as Manchester City managed to put seven past RB Leipzig in the Etihad Stadium to advance through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League we'll also be taking a look at what happened in Naples as Napoli beat Antwerp Frankfurt by five goals to nil on aggregate we'll also be taking a look at what happened in the Dragao as Inter managed to knock FC Porto out of the Champions League in Portugal. But we'll be starting today in Madrid, in the Santiago Bernabeu, as Real Madrid strolled off to a 1-0 victory against the depleted Liverpool side, who lost the tie by six goals to three. Regardless of the form, for any team to overturn a three-goal deficit away at the Santiago Bernabeu is going to be a Herculean task for Liverpool, who are struggling especially, and who have not done well away from home this season it was going to be more of a difficult task for them. They came up to the Santiago Bernabeu 5-2 down from the first leg at Anfield. They were deflated, the squad. I mean, you could talk a lot about the team structure in a 4-2-3-1. You know, that's not the sort of a game plan that we see Jurgen Klopp playing. It's more of a 4-3-3 structure, of a 4-3-3 with a false nine structure that we are used to seeing from Jurgen Klopp. That wasn't the case, you know. A 1-0 scoreline in the favour of uh, Real Madrid and to be honest it could have been more if it, if it was not for Alisson who came up with some really good saves. But you know it's going to be a massive, massive season ahead for Liverpool. For Real Madrid, yeah they have this, uh, the Clasico coming up is at, at, on this weekend against Barcelona in the Camp Nou and that's going to take a lot of headlines because uh, well they're not doing that well in the league. As far as for Liverpool, you know this game was... Kind of over in the what 60th minute, 75th minute or something when Benzema scored that fifth goal for Real Madrid. I mean, it is very difficult to come to the Santiago Bernabeu. I mean, teams have done what Liverpool were asked to do. I mean, if you take a take a look at what happened against Juventus, what six, four year, five years ago? Yeah, five years ago in the quarterfinals, which was last season of Zinedine Zidane's first tenure as manager last season of Cristiano at Real Madrid. They came here to the Santiago Bernabeu, being 3-0 down from the first leg in Torino. Came here, scored three goals and then, you know, it was a very dodgy penalty decision on Lucas Vazquez where Ronaldo scored the penultimate goal of the game from the spot, beating Wojciech Szczesny on that game and that was a very, very good one. But Juventus managed to score three goals. So did Ajax the following season where they were in all sorts of mess and under Santiago Solari they were 2-1 up, Real Madrid were 2-1 up from the first leg at Amsterdam and they came back here to the Santiago Bernabeu. They couldn't handle the brilliance of that Ajax side led by Eric Ten Hag and lost the game by four goals to one. Ajax won the tie by five goals to three on aggregate. Then came, uh, if I'm not wrong, Chelsea last season where Chelsea were 3-1 down from the first leg. And they came to the Santiago Bernabeu, again, very deflated. They were not in good form in the Premier League as well. They were, what, third? I mean, they were, they were miles off the second place and miles off the fourth place as well. So they were on an island, isolated on the third place. They came here at the Santiago Bernabeu, won by three goals to one in, in the regulation time, and then lost the game in extra time on aggregate. So, you know, there have been instances where teams have found a sort of a motivation to come here to the Santiago Bernabeu and do what was required. But this was more of a Herculean effort because I thought, you know, Liverpool, just the way they have been playing this season has not been good. Again, they've had blows, injury blows this season, a lot of them. I mean, 
you can you know draw parallels to the season the 2020-2021 season because they had lots of injuries especially in the center back areas this season they have had injuries in the midfield they have had injuries in the offensive areas as well you still don't have luis diaz there you know in the midfield henderson's not henderson was not play, playing on that game so was uh, stefan bajetic stefan bajetic is out for the season so uh, you know that that just keeps him outside of uh, any sort of um conversation that we will have regarding liverpool also you know harvey elliot is harvey elliot didn't play you know may also you know fabio carvalho they've got players but some or the other reason they were not able to play they played milner they played fabinho milner was good i would say he had a lot of work rate going on in that pitch but well you have to say if someone at 37 years of age is playing for liverpool in the Champions League game away at the Bernabeu, there's something wrong with the team structure. There's something wrong with the team planning. You know, there are fundamental things in that team in at the board level which are very, very wrong. You look at people like Ian Graham and Michael Edwards, who were so influential in getting the players that Liverpool have got in the last five years. Some from players like Firmino, Fabinho, Wijnaldum, so many good, good players. Andy Robertson for eight million. That was probably the bargain of the last decade. You look at players like Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, so many good players who have been influential for the success at Liverpool. They got those players because of the data that was presented to by people like Ian Graham and uh, Michael Edwards. And now they've, they've completely been shrugged off in, from, uh, from, from the office. And now people like Pep Linders are influencing the transfer decisions, which is not really their job. Um, well, yeah, talking about the other... Uh, aspect of this uh, and was Real Madrid who was so so good on the night and players like Tony Tony Kroos had a fantastic game my goodness I mean he does not have he does not seem to miss a beat because he's just so good with the ball with, with, with his passing picking out players at ease so very good at whatever he does and again a massive shout out to Eduardo Camavinga who's who certainly has a head of a 27 year old player not a 20 year old player he's He's just amazing, isn't he? You know, he's got all the defensive attributes that are required for a midfielder. He's He is someone who can get into the box. He's someone who got box-to-box as well, but he's more suited to a number six role, and he does really well there. And that's what we saw against Liverpool. But again, it, this was not something... Um, th- this was not a must-win game. They, they could have lost this game 2-1 and still qualified for... Uh, the Champions League quarterfinals, but it is what it is right now. Um, again, I think the the team was really good uh, for for Real Madrid. They missed a few players. I mean, Chouameni was missing from this game, so was David Alaba. We, uh, I hope to see them back again. You know, Nacho had such a great game. I mean, at the start of the game in the first half, I thought you know Mo Salah could really have his number because you know there were situations where Salah was taking on Nacho, and Nacho's got less pace as compared to that of Mo Salah and you would say that you know Salah could have Nacho's number on the day but that wasn't the case to be you know Nacho played so well you know he's been such an incredible part of the Real Madrid side in the Champions League in La Liga he's been such a great servant for the club I mean I just love Nacho you know he's, he's a fantastic player Rudiger and Militao are solid as usual They've developed a very, very good partnership between themselves. You look at Benzema. I mean, I'm a bit worried about Benzema. He said that he will play in the Clasico. We don't know as of now. You know, if he's not fit, Rodrigo will start as a centre forward uh, at the camp now. You know, he really seemed to have pulled up a muscle or so muscle or something because 
you know, the way he hobbled off with that celebration. I don't think the ankle uh, was the problem there because he had an ankle strain before the game and Virgil van Dijk's boot or the studs really did catch a bit of uh, uh, Benzema's ankle in that in that sequence of play where, the, where Real Madrid got the goal. But, you know, Benzema is going to be very important for them in the camp now against Barcelona with his experience and everything. Um you talk about the midfield, as I said, you know, Modric was amazing. Kroos had a mar- marvellous game from Tony Kroos. Uh, talking about Vinicius Jr., and he was amazing as well. I mean, I was, com- I was very bored of watching Vinicius Jr. dribble past Alexander-Arnold so many times. I mean, Konate was... I, I mean, you could talk about Konate being asleep for the, second, for the, for the goal that uh, was scored by... As he completely lost track of what Benzema was doing, and he really was absolutely static. He was statued uh, on the pitch right there, but... You know, it is what it is. I mean, Liverpool have to go in the market and buy some players. I mean, the first thing that they need to do is to get a settled squad, revert to a more of a pragmatic approach to every single game now. They have lost midfielders or they're losing them at a fast rate. They need to get at least two to three midfielders for next summer. They need to get rid of Henderson and Milner. They need to have additions to that squad. I mean, they still have Fabinho, Thiago, Pacetic. Fabio Carvalho and Harvey Elliott and probably Curtis Jones. That's his six midfielders. You need to add more three to that because Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott and Fabio Carvalho, they've been certainly the uh, three guys who are sidelined for, you know, they they, they don't think that they're going to be the main guys who will be playing for Liverpool, but they need to sign at least two. I mean, I could say for for Felipe Caicedo from Brighton, maybe they can have him. Also, Matthias Nuj from Wolverhampton Wanderers. You also will uh, see to it that if they can get Jude Bellingham as well because you know that could be a very, very good addition from Borussia Dortmund. Um, so yeah, you know there's there's a lot to be discussed for Liverpool. They need to get in the right back as well as I said. Uh, the right back is, a, is, is much of a priority right now. I don't know where they can get a right back from the Premier League. Maybe they'll have to import one uh, from overseas. Maybe someone like a Jeremy Frimpong would really fit a build. I mean... Trent Alexander-Arnold can play in the central midfield now, and it's high time that they need to get him uh, in positions where his game is less affected offensively and is more affected defensively because he can still put in an effort defensively as he does, but he just seems to be disinterested every single time he's been put to the task um, to play uh, in, in a defensive role. So right now, I think, um, yeah, there's, there's a work to be done for... For 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 Liverpool in the in the transfer market, but for now the, the the games against City, Chelsea, and Arsenal, the three games coming up for Liverpool in the Premier League, and I think they need to win at least two. I mean, you know, the one game. I mean, maybe all oh, the both the games maybe uh, away from home against uh, Chelsea and Man City are going to be huge. The game at home against Arsenal's can probably be a title-defining game because Arsenal, you know, going away at Anfield, they didn't have, they don't have much of a good record coming to Anfield for Man City as well. Uh, when they play Liverpool, they certainly don't have the number in the Premier League in the recent past and at the Etihad Stadium. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating game. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating few weeks for Liverpool, to say the least. And uh, well, we'll see. Uh, as far as Real Madrid, they have the Clásico. That's a big game. They do uh, do have the uh, Copa del Rey Clásico coming up as well. Uh, that will be at the start of uh, April. So we'll see what happens there. You know, the game against Barcelona is going to be very, very, very big because if they don't win against Barcelona, the league's done. 
and I just hate to say that, but the league's done. I mean, if they win against Barcelona, there's two, three games that Barcelona can slip up, and I can easily see that because they're not playing that well. I mean, if you look at the game against uh, Bilbao the, the weekend uh, at the weekend in La Liga, there was not there was not much in that game. Uh, Athletic Bilbao could have uh, could have got something out of that one because you know they had a goal disallowed, they had chances, they had some very good saves uh, pulled up from. Uh, uh, for, from Ter Stegen, so you know, still a chance for Real Madrid maybe to bounce back in the league. I mean, it's not being done as of now uh, by any team, so it is kind of, kind of you know, un- unrealistic for me to look for that. But yeah, I would, I would, I would really like Real Madrid to win the league over the Champions League. I mean, I would take that. But you know, it is what it is now. I, I would see what where, where things are turning out to be. But you know, the the squad strength as well something is uh, really kicking me off because that could be a probable you know hindrance in them putting up a consistent run in La Liga from now until the end of the season. So for the second time in a matter of a month, we've had a Manchester club being involved in a 7-0 scoreline. This time, the Manchester club was on the winning side, unlike Manchester United, Manchester City won against RB Leipzig by seven goals to nil in the Champions League and they are through to the quarterfinals and again you know we'll say that Man City very good side yes but you know the game was more a highlight because of Slavko Vincic who is the Slovenian referee who was officiating this game a very experienced guy in many ways and he's been managing the Champions League games for a long time now but this was a complete howler from the, the referee in the first half itself. I mean, you would say Man City were 3-0 up in the first half itself. And you're not wrong, but you know, the referee just didn't cover himself in glory. And the floodgates opened up with the referee because there were so many ludicrous refereeing decisions in this game. And, I mean, we can understand the referee having a hot howler of a game. But how come the VAR is not applying any common sense? I mean, that is... More staggering for me because the penalty on Benjamin Hendricks, it shouldn't have been a penalty. I mean, yeah, you would say law of the game, this and that. But to be honest, you know, sometimes you need to apply common sense and say, you know what, this is just absurd. And I mean, it it I, it was just one angle from which we would say that there was some part of the ball was brushing the arm arm of Benjamin Hendricks. And, you know, it was deflected from a point-blank range. Again, the same which happened with uh, with Maris Wolf last last week uh, in that game between Dortmund and Chelsea. I just don't think that's a penalty. I mean, if you're giving... I mean, as Cesc Fabregas said as well, even Mats Hummels tweeted that um, during, uh, during the time which the game was on, that if we're giving penalties for such handballs, we've certainly lost the plot. I mean, you have to use common sense. I mean, letter of the law, stuff like that, yeah, but common sense has to prevail sometimes, and that's that's what I think. Uh, the Edison foul on Conrad Limer, it was, that's again, that should be in a red card. I mean, you just can't go and clatter someone in the hips like that. And on the other side, Edison just not being given... Uh, I mean, he, he, he even escaped a yellow card. And... Timo Werner, who was protesting for that, and rightly so, he was protesting for that foul, he gets a yellow card instead. I mean, that's that's completely poor officiating. Uh, Jack Grealish shamelessly, shamelessly dived for a penalty, and that was not being given a yellow card for simulation. Kevin De Bruyne didn't get a yellow card for stomping, I guess it was Kevin Campbell or Dominic Shabosli. I mean, these are some decisions that... 
you know, were completely poor. In the first half itself, Slavko Vincic just completely put out RB Leipzig uh, to the cleaners. I mean, again, you would say that Leipzig should have been playing well, and I completely agree with you. But the thing is that if refereeing is of this quality, you certainly are at the mercy of the referee because it's just poor officiating all throughout. Uh, by the way, if you talk about the game, I thought Man City was superior before these before these you know before these incidents happened. But they were not able to score goals. Uh, Man City looked the likelier ones to score goals, and my goodness me, Blazwich, what was he trying to do? I mean, again, another decision. Erling Haaland just barraged into Blazwich, who was trying to clear that ball for the second goal, was trying to play the ball out from the back. It was just a disastrous thing to do with this Man City side because he was not able to do that. And he cleared that ball. It went straight to Akanji, who played that ball towards Kevin De Bruyne. But when Blazwich was trying to get the ball through uh, his legs, it was Erling Haaland who just barraged into him in his back. And that should have been a foul anyways, because he just can't touch the goalkeeper. But anyways, you know, it was not being looked by the VAI. It should have been disallowed anyways for uh, for an Erling Haaland foul. I don't know how that stayed, how that, how that goal was allowed to stay in. But, you know, that's uh, that's a discussion for some, uh, for some other day. Um, I would say, yeah, you know, it was just poor application from uh, Blazwich. I mean, I, I still think he's a very good goalkeeper. He's a very good number two for someone like a... Uh, uh, what's the goalkeeper's name? I just, I just, uh, you know, completely forgot. Peter Gulacci, yeah. Peter Gulacci is a, is a good number two for Peter Gulacci. But, you know, just don't play out from the back anymore. I mean, it's just terrible to see. Anyways, uh, Man City, com- comfortable in the end. Very, very comfortable, I would say. You know, getting a very good victory. They are through to the quarterfinals. As for RB Leipzig, the main focus is, has to be on the Bundesliga. I mean, it's still... You know, it's still within reach. I wouldn't say it is out of out of sight as of now. They do have a game against Bayern Munich coming up, but not not very soon. But they will have time to prepare for that. I would suggest that they remain inside for the Bundesliga title because I think they have got a good good chance as compared to that of uh, uh, of of Bayern Munich of of Borussia Dortmund. I'm sorry because you know they have got a good squad they've got a good manager as well in Marco Jose he's certainly try he's certainly lost the plot in his last one month because of the losses or the points that have been dropped in, in to a certain extent he dropped points against Köln they lost against Union Berlin at home they lost away at Borussia Dortmund now this games against Man City haven't been that great as well so they've been losing a plot they've got a game against Bochum or is it Schalke? I, I don't know, but it's somewhere around the relegation scrap. Some, some of those teams right there. So I expect them to win those games. No Champions League football for teams like Dortmund and Leipzig just m- might be the thing that keeps them in the hunt for the Bundesliga title until the season to come. As for Man City, they will have the FA Cup games coming up this weekend. It's a, it's a, it's a big result for them. You know, Erling Haaland scoring five goals is a massive, massive boost for him as well in his confidence. Um... There has been scrutiny as well for Erling Haaland and stuff like that, but I just think you know for Erling Haaland and Man City, it's a good it's a good thing now that they've they've played good football for this one game. I think there will be games where they're just not able to score goals, like the game against Forest and stuff like that. But we'll see what happens. They've got games coming up against Liverpool as well. They've got games coming up against Arsenal, so we'll have a proper litmus test of what Man City are as a side. Um, in front of their own fans, as it was uh, even uh, day before yesterday against Leipzig. So we'll see what happens as far as uh, 
uh, both these teams go, that the focus has to be on domestic competitions for now, uh, before the international break, as much as you could um, see out the domestic competitions, it will be better. And then, you know, obviously we have the quarterfinal games to come up. So we'll see what happens with Man City. As for as Leipzig, the focus solely has to be right now on Bundesliga. They do have the DFB Pokal to come as well, but, you know, I don't really care what they do in the DFB Pokal, to be honest. Really, I, it's just... It's just we would be a bonus if they can win it. But, you know, seriously, the focus has to be on the Bundesliga. So let's move on from Manchester to Naples, where we had Napoli taking on Antra and Frankfurt in that second leg. 2-0 up from the first leg with Napoli, and it was going to be much more of a formality. But before talking about this game, we should be taking a look at what happened before the game, or two, three hours before the game had started. Some very disturbing scenes in Napoli. Uh, the police were made to work harder. They... You know, complete obliteration of what the property was in the city of Napoli. The public properties were just demolished, you know, hotels and windows being broken, the houses being shattered, you know, cars and vehicles being uh, demolished to, to the ground. I mean, just disturbing scenes down there in Naples. But I hope that there are not in many casualties, there are not many, uh, there, there's not much loss. And if there is any, I hope they will be compensated by the government or even by the football bodies as well. But talking about this game, uh, Napoli were 2-0 up from the first leg in Germany and they just kicked on. And they kicked on so well that they won the entire tie by five goals to nil. Two goals from uh, Viktor Osimhen, three in total in this entire tie. And Piotr Zielinski scoring the, uh, Piotr Zielinski scoring the third goal, which, was, uh, uh, which made it... 3-0 on the day for, for Napoli. It was a very, very good game, by the way, for, um, uh, for, for Napoli. Oliver Glaser and Frankfurt did start the game pretty well. They were aggressive on the front foot, but no shots on target. But as the game moved on, as the game grew, Napoli grew into the game as well. And they got the first goal eventually at the end of the first half, where it was uh, the br that brilliant work, by the way, first of all, by Stanislav Lobotka, who got the ball into the path of uh, Matteo Politano, who pulled that ball into the box with a cross, and it was met with a brilliant header by Victor Osimhen. You know, the way he leapt and the way he headed the ball home, just Cristiano-esque, 1-0 there, just half-time, they just killed the spirits of all the Frankfurt players in there. In the end, you know, two goals again in the second half. One again for Victor Osimhen, where he just have, might have well just injured his wrist. And then, you know, the penalty from uh, Piotr Zielinski, who I thought should have been given away to uh, Victor Osimhen anyways. But that's that. I mean, it, it was such a complete game for, for Napoli. Again, a stellar victory for them. They are into the quarterfinals of the Champions League for the first time in their history. That's a massive, massive achievement for a club as big as Napoli are. They will win the Serie A. They need just five victories to uh, get uh, get the Scudetto title to their name. And, you know, it is what it is. Now, they have got good players. They have got the strong strength and depth in the squad. You look at still the way they have structured the squad has been amazing with five big players, five starters potentially leaving the club in the summer transfer window in the likes of Dries Mertens, Lorenzo Insigne, Khalidu Koulibaly being the three main players. Then you've got someone like a Fabian Ruiz who was so influential for them uh, in, for the last two or three years, the way he was playing in the midfield. He went to Paris Saint-Germain. Even someone like a uh, David Ospina, who's been such an important player for 
um, for, for, for Napoli over the years. The goalkeeper, he left them and he's also moved on to, this, uh, to, the, to the Middle East to play his to play his football and it was sort of a you know crisis moment in my opinion with the president that that there is you know Aurelio Di Laurentiis he's not been a famous man around for quite some time in the uh, in the Italian sport but he's got his flowers this time around the, the recruitment has been brilliant the team structure the team planning has been brilliant just look at the way Kavica Quaratskele is playing. I mean, again, in the game against Frankfurt, he was just amazing. He scored a fantastic goal, by the way, at the weekend, cut it on his left, again on his right, and then scoring brilliantly past the goalkeeper. But, you know, the way he scored, uh, the way he played even against Frankfurt, as I said, in the Champions League, uh, he, he forced two saves from Kevin Trapp. The way he was passing the ball from left to right towards Politano, towards Giovanni Di Lorenzo was again amazing to watch. They've got good squad depth as well this season with the likes of Elmas, Diego Deme, uh, Tangi and Dombele playing in that midfield. They have got players like Raspadori, like Gio Simeone, like Chucky Lozano was so, so good in Frankfurt in the first leg. So you've got options right there. You've got Juan Jesus who's a bankable option at centre-back if something happens to Rachmani or to Kim Min Jae. You've got someone like an Oliveira and all those other guys I mean you could add the list I mean they have also added Bartosz Berezinski from uh, from Sampdoria to come and play for Napoli as he he can be a very good replacement for uh, someone like a Gio, uh, Giovanni Di Lorenzo if he gets injured sometime to play at right back so they've got a lot of options in, in their side they've got a very very good squad settled squad as as we know and I hope that they will be going far into this tournament and also in the Scudetto which will be a very very con- brilliant season for them talking about frankfurt and uh, well the uh, focus now for them has to be on the bundesliga because they are in the race to qualify for the top four i still think they would fall short eventually because i feel it's going to be union berlin bayern dortmund and leipzig who will take the top four spots in the bundesliga not them Uh, but anyways you know it is going to be very fascinating to see how things unfold in uh, in in Frankfurt, they will be losing a few of their players in the summer transfer window. Eventually, you know, players like uh, players like Daichi Kamara have already signed for Borussia Dortmund. I would be very surprised if Randall Kolomwani stays at Frankfurt. Well, well, they have got good um, recruitment uh, policy there. They've recruited some very very good players around. Um, you know, they will they will be around in the in the uh, in the club competition next time around as well in the Europa League. I would be very surprised if someone does not come in for Jesper Lundström, if someone does not come around for players like Gibral So who can jump to the midfield. So there are teams that will be interested in picking up those Frankfurt players and you know it will be so it would be a sad story eventually, but you know, it is what it is in this big game. Uh, of football, you know, we will have that domino effect of uh, players be- or the conveyor belt of players being brought into the in the Frankfurt team. As far as uh, the focus needs to be uh, for the rest of the season on the Bundesliga, I'm not so sure if they are in the day of Pepokal anyways. Uh, but yeah, you know, talking about this game, they were a bit placid. They were not as good as we would expect. I mean, they were having a very good time since the World Cup and they've just tailed off a bit in the last one month where they've lost games in the Bundesliga as well. They were shoulder to shoulder with all the uh, all the other teams in the Bundesliga fighting for that Bundesliga title. There were one point, there were five uh, at, at one instance in that season, in, in the season after the World Cup, they were five points behind Bayern Munich. I mean, that's crazy to even... Uh, even comprehend right now but it, it is what it is right now with frankfurt you have got no assurances anyways uh we'll see what happens with frankfurt because it's going to be very fascinating to 
read into what the what what the theme is going to be from now until the end of the season. I hope it's going to be a very positive one. Oliver Glasner, I've got a lot of respect for him. I've got a lot of time for him. He's a very, very good manager. I think he's tactically very sound. He's got good understanding of the game, and I think he will do a good job for them this season. We'll, ha- we'll just have to wait and see where the season ends for the Sancho and Frankfurt side. So let's move on from Italy to Portugal as we had Inter travelling away to the Dragao to play Porto but they had to avoid defeat and they did so as the match ended in a stalemate. Nil-nil between the two sides after the 90 minutes played at the Dragao. 1-0 to Inter on the aggregate scoreline and they are through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. And... To be honest, I think it was a really, really poor game. I just didn't enjoy this one. But and it was fun to watch in after the 60th minute itself, where I just switched off from the Man City-Leipzig game completely. Um, but yeah, talking about this game, you know, Porto were missing three players uh, from their starting eleven. Uh, João Mario, the right-back, out due to an injury. So was Pep. And uh, they were also missing João Mario, uh, who was... Uh, I'm sorry, they were also missing Otavio, who got himself stupidly sent off in... Uh, uh, in 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 the San Siro uh, against the Inter in the first leg, so they had three injuries coming up for them, and you know it was going to be tough because you know it hasn't been that smooth of a ride for poor Sergio Conceição has not had a not had a good time around with the fans as well. He's been complaining here and there. You know he's achieved a lot of good things with Porto. The the, the budget and everything has been a bit questionable for them, but he's achieved a lot of good things. From, with, with his Porto side and he needs to be applauded for that but which is just so very poor if you talk about um, uh, uh, if, if you talk about Porto because uh, the, the in-game decisions something that have really been bugging me for a long time and even in this game you know he played Ivan Ilsen who was really to get on the pitch I mean he still played him in the starting 11 he was being hooked off in the first half itself and uh, well they had to revisit their plans there is not a lack of clarity in what they wanted to do I mean Pep had to play right back not the Pep who plays for Portugal but the Pep who, who has got a Brazilian passport for now so he had to play right back I mean there's still a lot of things that are not right with this Porto side but as I said, you know, a lot of blame has to go for Sergio Conceição as well. But talking about this Porto side, there are a lot of things which are not right, as I said. If you have players like Pep and Marcano playing as a centre-backs, as your two starting centre-backs, to be honest, then your, your club has a big problem. They've not replaced a player like Vitinho, who went for a lot of money last season. They've not replaced, in many ways, Luis Diaz. I mean, I know Galeno's played well, but, you know, Luis Diaz was Luis Diaz. He had a different gravy to himself. You know, Fabio Vieira, who's transferred to Arsenal, they've not replaced him properly. So there is a lot of lot of structuring to do in this side. Um, they're a rich club in, uh, in Portugal, but the thing is, the investment hasn't, hasn't been coming. Sergio Conceição has criticised openly uh, the uh, the board members and everyone, even Pinto de la Costa uh, as well. But you know, it's it's not happening for 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 for, for the Sporto side, and it's it's a bit sad. And I thought you know this was a winnable tie for them. This was a very very interesting tie. You know, Sergio Conceição as well before the game said that he does not care how his team plays, but he just needs the victory, and that's what that that's that's the right way to go. I mean, in in many ways, when I mean, you don't have players around. You know, this is sort of a thing that you would say you would find people saying. I mean, they set up in a four-three-three uh, with three midfielders. Shockingly, in Uribe, Eustachio, and uh, uh, Gruich, who had a very, very good game, by the way. Um, the front three was uh, Ivan Ilsen, Materemi, and uh, 
and Galeno, uh, even Ilson, as I said, hooked off, and then he was replaced by Tony Martinez, who had a very good chance in the second half. Uh, but then, you know, it was not much for the first 60 minutes, and then the game took off. There was a lot of fights and everything, you know, he's... <laughs> well, the game was going on and on and on. Pep had got himself sent off, the one who was playing. Obviously, I'm going to allude to him. Um, it was a very, very interesting game after the 60th minute. I mean, in the stoppage time itself, Inter had th- uh, Porto had three chances to score. One was played off the line by Denzel Dumfries. One hit the crossbar. One was a good save by Onana as well, off the cro- onto the crossbar. Anyway, so it was a very, very good effort in the end they should have won they should have won the game by the way Porto I really felt sorry for them I really felt sorry for Sergio Conceição as well as he was absolutely pissed off after the full time whistle he was pissed off on the referee he was pissed off by the Porto players and the Inter players and everyone he was having none of it he refused to shake hands with any of those Inter players he refused to shake hands with Simone Inzaghi as well he was absolutely he, he, he was very angry I mean he could have smashed, smashed somebody's face anyway so I mean he, he was going on I mean he's he's had a lot of bad things happening for him in the in the season I mean if you look at the start of the season as well that and after that loss at the drug out against Club Brugge in the Champions League we had you know people the, the local Porto fans you know throwing stones at his car where he had his kid and his wife as well in that car with him it was a very horrible thing to happen but then again he's not helped his case you know he's he's been, I, I've been saying this for a long time that Sergio Conceição, in my opinion, is the best Portuguese manager right now in the world. I mean, I can talk about Ruben Abonim as well, and I will be talking about him in a minute. But he is the best Portuguese manager in the world right now, and I, period. That 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 is what it is. But he's not helping his case while doing everything that he's doing. Even in the post-match press conference, he was telling that the ball boys have to be very, very fast and giving the ball back. I mean, come on. it's He has to get some blame for this one. Uh, well, talking about Inter, Inter were very good. Uh, they had they did what they had to do. Um, they riled off Sergio Contesal for starters. I mean, that was part of the plan or no, I don't know. But they did what they had to do in that regard. Um even the way they they set up, I think they were very good. You know, the same midfield three of Mkhitaryan, Barella and uh, uh, Mkhitaryan, Barella and Chalanoglu. Denzel Dumfries, by the way, had an amazing game. Um, I thought the defence as well, I think especially Francesco Acerbi was brilliant in this entire game. And so was Andrea Onana, you know, showing off his immense goalkeeping skills around. Very, very good uh, game for them, you know, nil, nil draw, they will take it, they'll take any day of the week, they're not having a good time right now in this area, they lost against, um, I don't remember whom they lost against, but they lost at the weekend, I mean, that's given another leap to uh, uh, to Napoli, I mean, they're, they're not going to win this area for sure, but, you know, the race for the top four is very, very interesting, they're in touching distance from the fifth spot as well, the team from the fifth spot, which is AS Roma, they can catch Inter if they went, if they, if they slip for the two games, and you know anything can happen in Serie A at this time. I mean, it's it's a it's a tricky league to say at the least. Um, but now at least, I mean, they have the Champions League quarterfinals. A winnable draw. Again, we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be a very fascinating game to watch uh, uh, between. I mean, uh, between them and Benfica in the, court, in the quarterfinals, as we'll talk about that as well. But uh, as, as of now, I think the focus has to be on the Serie A and see to it that they get into the Champions League next season as well. So we'd need to take a look at what happened in the Europa League yesterday as we had some very, very interesting games in the second flight of uh, European football. We had Feyenoord beating Shakhtar Donetsk by seven goals to one in Netherlands. They had a very, very good day, didn't they? You know, Kevin Kesley, uh, Kelsey getting a very 
much of a consolation goal at the end of the game. But yes, yeah, 7-1, Feyenoord. There's not much to say about that. Fernabache, we're up against Sevilla in Turkey, and they managed a 1-0 victory. Ener Valencia, the uh, Ecuadorian international, was the only goal scorer in this game. But in spite of that loss, Sevilla move on to the quarterfinals of the Europa League as they advance by two goals to one on, a- on the aggregate scoreline. There was another game, big game again, Real Sociedad against AS Roma, a very, very important game for Jose Mourinho. He went away to uh, Sociedad after that terrible, terrible loss at the weekend against Asuolo. It was you know, a game which uh, had a lot, of, a lot of emotions going on. Obviously, you know, Jose Mourinho was not on the, on the bench to cheer up for his team, but you know, it was a very tough pill to swallow with Roma beating uh, Beaten up by Sassuolo. They went to the uh, Basque country to play Real Sociedad. It was a good game. Nil-nil the scoreline. AS Roma go through on the aggregate by two goals to nil. There was a red card incident as well in this game as Carlos Fernandez. You know, he got sent off at the very end, but that's not going to make any difference as of now. Uh, so Alkmaar were up against Lazio and it was the same. It was a repeat of that scoreline, which was in the Stadio Olimpico in Rome as they beat Lazio yet again by two goals to one. They advanced to the quarterfinals on the aggregate scoreline of four goals to two. Uh, another big game in the Europa League saw Real Betis take on Manchester United in Sevilla, and the game ended in a two-one in, in a one-nil in a victory. I'm sorry for Manchester United, and it was Casemiro who scored. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, Man- Marcus Rashford who scored the only goal in this game. It was an important game for United because they were up against. Uh, they, they were. Um, they were coming off a very, very poor game against Southampton where they should have lost the game. I mean, Theo Walcott had some other plans, but anyways, they have won this game. The aggregate scoreline stayed of five goals to one. I mean, stellar scoreline, given the fact that how well Real Betis have been playing in La Liga. So it's a good scoreline. It's a good result for Manchester United. They bounce back in the Europa League yet again. Uh, Freiburg were up against Juventus at home in Germany. They lost against Juventus by two goals to nil, three nil on aggregate. Juventus go through goals by Federico Chiesa in the second, at the very death and one penalty from Dusan Vlahovic in the first half. He also had a goal chopped off. But anyways, they go through three nil on aggregate. They are into the quarterfinals of the uh, of the Europa League. Uh, another game was uh, Union Berlin traveling away in Belgium, and they had to face defeat as well as they were beaten. Uh, Yannick Habere was uh, was given a red card, a second yellow card, uh, to be honest. And Union Berlin are out as well. Arsenal against Sporting Lisbon, the pick of the ties for me. One one, the full time at the full time whistle. A very very good game. Ruben Amorim just outstanding with his tactical. Uh, with his tactical analysis, he was very, very good. Arsenal will have themselves to blame. Um, well, you know, Ruben Amorim and Sporting have been doing, are not doing well in the Portuguese league. They are fourth in the table, but they have been doing well in uh, uh, in the uh, in the in the Europa League. They've done well in Europe recently. You know, they've done really well against uh, against teams like uh, Frankfurt and Tottenham, who eventually went into, the, into this round of sixteen of the Champions League. But this time, Sporting, they've done well. They've lost players again, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a good result for them. By the way, shout out to that amazing goal scored by Pedro Goncalves from his own half, just beating Ramsdale. Uh, I mean, an incredible goal. Very, very good. And the audacity to score that as well. I mean, Sporting had the chances to put this game away to bed in the first, in, in regulation time itself. Marcus Edwards pulling, um, had, had the big chance. He, 
hit that ball straight in the face of Ramsdale. Even someone like a um, Paulinho had that big chance on off the corner where he glanced that header just over the crossbar. So they had chances. They could not capitalise on them. And uh, in the end, Arsenal losing on penalties. Gabriel Martinelli's penalty saved by Antonio Adan, who was amazing in this entire game. Really amazing. Uh, saved some really big, uh, made some really big saves. What, seven saves he made in total? I mean, it was amazing. Uh, by the way, Bayer Leverkusen were in Hungary playing Ferencvaros and they won by two goals to nil. Again, the repeat of the scoreline that was in, uh, in Germany. Uh, a week ago, uh, Amina Adli and Musa Diaby on the score sheet as they cruise through on a victory in Hungary, and they are also qualified for the round of 16 of uh, or the quarterfinals of the Europa League. So we have our eight teams in the quarterfinals of the Europa League, and they are Juventus, United, Feyenoord, Sevilla, Roma, Alkmaar, we've got Leverkusen, Union Saint Gilloise, and even Sporting Lisbon. So these are the eight teams who will be playing in the Europa League round in the Europa League quarterfinals in in probably three weeks. So the draw of the Champions League quarterfinals has just been released and we have some really mouth-watering fixtures to look forward to. Uh, so we'll be going through the brackets and the first bracket comprises of Real Madrid versus Chelsea. That's the first quarterfinal. And the third quarterfinal between Man City and Bayern Munich. The winner of these two games will be playing in the semi-finals against each other. You know, Real Madrid against Chelsea is something which we've seen before. For the last two seasons, these teams have been going up against each other. Chelsea have won the uh, had their number last uh, season before last season, where, where it was Thomas Tuchel who went on to get Chelsea their second Champions League title. The next season, it was Real Madrid and Carlo Ancelotti who won their fourth Champions League title, who who won his fourth Champions League title. Real Madrid won their fourteenth Champions League title. I do fancy Real Madrid to go through. I mean, maybe it's a bit, bit of a bias, but you know, it's it's just logical that I see Real Madrid going through into the Champions League quarterfinals against Chelsea. By the way, Barca, Bayern against um, uh, Bayern against. Man City is going to be another huge game. Bayern are trying to demolish every single guy who's got some kind of a history with Barcelona. They, they destroyed Barcelona. They've destroyed Barcelona's favourite son, Lionel Messi's Paris Saint-Germain. And now they've got Barcelona's, probably Barcelona's best ever coach, best ever manager in their sight now as Man City will take on Bayern Munich. They did meet each other in the uh, pre-season this year, but you know it was pre-season. This is Bayern Munich. It's a very, very fascinating tie. I am inclined to go for a Bayern Munich victory and I think Bayern Munich will get the number of Man City this uh, this time around. The other bracket comprises of Inter against Benfica. This is quarterfinals second. This is the second game in the quarterfinals and again, a very, very mouth-watering tie. This, I think, will be a very, very interesting game. And just on form, I think for now... Benfica will have the number of Inter Milan and I think Benfica will get into the semi-finals of the Champions League. It's a very very much a winnable draw for Benfica. It's a draw which of which they should be taking more advantage of. Uh, Porto failed to manage uh, to take the advantage, but Benfica really should. Uh, they're a good squad. They have they have a better team than Inter. They have a probably a more informed team. 
or the managers, I mean, probably cancel each other out. I mean, Simon Inzaghi is a good manager as well. So well, it's, it would be a fascinating game, by the way, you know, Inter against Benfica. The first leg will be played at the Estadio de Luge in Benfica and the second leg will be played in the Estadio Giuseppe Mialto. So it will be very much fascinating to see who comes out on top in this game. The last quarterfinal, the quarterfinal four, will be taking place between Milan and Napoli. Uh, Serie A derby and uh, well it's going to be it's it's going to be tough for AC Milan I think Napoli have have this game in their hands I don't know the last time where two Serie A teams meet met each other in the Champions League I don't know if that's happened in the last decade or so but it's going to be a momentous occasion one team from the Serie A will be going into the Champions League and I think it's going to be Napoli so I predict Real Madrid Bayern Munich Napoli and Benfica to make the Champions League semi-finals this season that's it from me today be sure to check into my other accounts my twitter account is weekly pod underscore ott to be w-e-e-k-l-y-p-o-d underscore ott and my instagram account is weekly pod dot ott w-e-e-k-l-y-p-o-d dot ott we will be coming back to you uh, after getting the uh, games done at the weekend we have got some big games in uh, la liga the classic of course uh we have got big games in the uh, Serie A as well we've got the we've got the derby the derby d'italia between uh, inter and juventus we also have uh, bayern leverkusen against bayern munich in the bundesliga some fa cup action as well so we'll be uh, back uh, after this weekend uh, probably on tuesday until then this was a host mayuresh matkar thank you very much